This is The Grouch and The Brainstorm. My name's Mike and I'm an alcoholic. You don't have to say hi, Mike, after that. This is episode number three. This is episode number three. And today, back with us is Matt. Say hi, Matt. Hey. Jill. Hey, guys. And our co-host showed up today. Her name is? Jennifer. Hey, Jen. So, today's episode is going to be, we're going to talk a little bit about what it was like entering AA and our beginning times in AA and what our thought process was and what to do. We'll start at day one if we have to, but before we go any further, I want Jennifer to introduce herself because uh, we've been missing her while she's been away. I'm Jennifer. I'm an alcoholic. By God's grace and mercy and only God's grace and mercy, I haven't had a drink since December 18th, 2016, and for that, I am eternally grateful. And uh, I'm a competitive bodybuilder. I picked that up in sobriety. I never thought I'd be able to do anything like that. Um, uh, You can't do much when you can't get off your porch uh, or come to Black Daughter Passed Out. Um, I have two daughters, single mom. That's about it for okay. now. Okay. So a little little uh trivia here, but uh the, the grouch and the brainstorm, the terminology was coined by Jennifer. Uh the Grouch and the Brainstorm podcast is owned by a parent company named Common Peril. And also the name Common Peril and the logo you see on our Spotify page was also created and invented by Jennifer. So glad you're here and um glad you introduced yourself. And glad you're back. And so we're going to dive off into that first uh, that first year. So I think, um, you know, one of the first things we hear when we get into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous is change your people, change your places, change your things, and, you know, change your nouns. And it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to some people coming in. And most importantly, they don't want to. I didn't. You know, I can't speak for those people. I don't know about y'all, but I, I can't speak for people who are coming into the rooms for the very first time. But I, I didn't want to change my people. I didn't want to change my places, and I didn't want to change my things. And to be honest with you, I didn't, I didn't have too many too many people left. Um, I didn't have really any places to go, and I didn't have any things. Um, but integrating to a whole new way of life, you know, it was almost like <laughs> I spent my last, my last time was 15 days in treatment. So that was my last little stint over at the bed and breakfast. And, you know, I got out of there feeling like I had been, you know, locked in for, you know, six, seven years, you know, and I'm, I'm having to integrate back into society. And so I come to the rooms of AA because I'm desperate and I want to know what to do. What am I going to do with all this idle time that I'm going to have now? You know, the thought process of being a dad never came to mind or mowing the grass or paying the bills or checking the mail stuff. Normal people who don't drink nine to five do none of that. None of that ever came to mind. But what what did come to mind was if I don't do something, I'm probably going to go back and do those bad behaviors that I was doing before. And so I I wanted something to do. I, I needed something to do. Oh. And as added note, I did not want to hang out with the dorks in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. Absolutely not. Those cats were just, just, uh, what, what's the word? Lame, I guess, is the 1960s to 70s word for those people. And I just did not want any part of that. Yeah. So, um, so I guess what we'll do is we can go around the table and we're going to start with Matt because Matt's right in the center and you can't go around the table when you start with Matt. We're going to go around the room. Matt, tell us a little bit, integrating your life from, from being that, that drinking every day, drugging every day, wild, crazy women chasing all of that stuff or, or, or or dudes, whatever, man. Um, whatever floats. Thanks Mike. Just, uh, (laughs) what was it? What did you do, you know, to stay sober and occupy your time? So, the first thing I figured out when I when I did come out of treatment and started trying to act like a <clears throat> kind of a productive member of society, I realized there were twenty four hours in each day, whole twenty every day at twenty four. They were very long days, and yeah, it was a lot of boredom, um, a lot of meetings, but definitely changed people, places, and things. Didn't went to work, came home just forced myself to sit there for about a year it was nothing too fancy 
which I was married and had kids, so I kind of had I had things going on as far as that responsibilities, but but as far as any kind of social life or anything like that, it really wasn't anything. Um, you know, it was just uh, the first year was just focusing. And it was, it just seemed like it was so long every day. It was just like, oh my God, you know, but it got better. And as time went on, I found other things to do and stuff I like doing, including uh, those lame people you're talking about. You know, I hang out with them all the time. There's three of them I'm sitting in here with. So, you know, well, okay. I'm not, yeah, all, th- all four of us actually, but, uh, but yeah, and I enjoy that now, you know, and, and that's my people and don't hang out too much with people that either aren't family or not in this program very few of them that i spend much time with and uh you know but i do a lot of fun stuff today but i sure didn't my first year it was boring so but that was just it was what it was you know it had to be so prior to your first year was you bored you mean before coming in yeah never boring Never, Never boring. boring. So you hit a brick wall when it comes to fun stuff? Well, I just didn't see how I was going to have fun. But, you know, and that's our mind, I think, tricking us too, because what's fun? Being sick or so high you're obnoxious. That was the only two ways that I operated. And then what else is fun is the last five years, I was pretty much didn't have any friends anyway. So I just I preferred by myself most of the time and stayed out as much as possible. And, um, so yeah, I mean, I think that's our brain going, you know, well, this is boring. (laughs) Boring is better than, than where I was at, you know? Uh, so yeah, I guess, I guess, uh, when I was in treatment, there was a kid said, Oh, this is boring. And this is so boring in here. And the, the tech that had a couple of years that was in there, he said, well, you can, you can go back out and not be bored. You know, police chases, they're not boring, you know, jail, that's not boring. And I was like, yeah, he's right. You know, so. And you get a little sugar every now and again when you're in jail. I think so. I think it's all, all you want in there. So, um, but, but yeah, we, uh, it, 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 I guess, I guess you would call it boring, but, but it was more, kind of discipline and rediscipline myself to do something different, you know? So if that makes any sense. How about y'all? Either one, take a pick. Well, about a, two years before I came into the rooms, I had drank all of, all of my friends away. I didn't go anywhere. I literally was a loser party of one and I would get blacked out, annihilated, drunk, on my porch every night by myself. So, um, I, when I walked into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous and I was presented with the solution, I, I stepped off and drank the Kool-Aid, you know? They told me to throw myself into service work. So I filled my time with uh, contributing to my home group and the the club where we all come from. and. And in about four months sober, I stepped off into the the world of competitive bodybuilding and that ate up a crap ton of my time. However, um, looking back on it, was it probably the best thing to do at the time? Probably not. It it essentially, um, I was dry when I first came into the rooms of AA and So if I had any advice to give anybody, it would be, you know, when they tell you to get a sponsor, when they tell you to get into the steps, um, that is where the freedom and recovery comes from because I bottomed out in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous when I first got in there because I was drier than the Sahara Desert. I was staying sober because I couldn't waste calories on a donut or a piece of pizza I wasn't going to drink with empty calories. Um, and that only got me so far, uh, but that bottom got me to the point of surrender. Um, and then I took the program wholeheartedly. Um, I actually took a break for about two years from the bodybuilding and I had really, really worked on my spiritual life. And so I tried again this time 
but with God. And that seems to work for me today. So um, I've acquired so many friends in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. And it's never boring. Even at the meetings, like, we, uh, like, I, like I can remember days when I first was in the program. I would white knuckle through the day. I'm like, if I could just make it to 530, I d- it doesn't occur to me that I could go to a, a meeting, not at 530, but I thought like if that was your home group, that's the one you had to go to. And then I quickly figured out that there's meetings all day long and I can go to meetings. I can call up um, other alcoholics. I can, you know, we, we go and do things as big groups together. We go eat. And I think... About two years ago, I made it a, a big deal um, that I would just grab groups of people, um, and it, it didn't matter who you were. You want to come? Everybody's invited, and we all go eat. And I mean, there would be times at the restaurants that people were looking around like, "Are these people drinking?" Or because it was just like we were the same people, um, but we weren't drunk and we were having fun. Cool. And and that's the that's the biggest thing. You know, that we, that I can go to dinner, have fun and laugh and remember it the next day. And I think some of the funniest characters and wildest characters that I've ever met have been in Alcoholics Anonymous and they're completely drink and drug free. For sure. And they are off the chain funny. Like it's not even close. Oh, right, oh like man. Some of the conversations that we even have pre-meeting. Like the things like that we can talk about, and it's like you take the mask off, and it, things that I thought that I would never, ever, ever secrets like, and it's just like you, Laugh like the day we're, we're talking about when I went to New York that time, and mm-hmm. I had. <laughs> I'm not asking any questions. Chartered a Jag yeah. with Ebby. Well, you don't have to tell me about what no. happened. Remember the ally? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I remember. Oh, I remember that conversation. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Definitely taking the mask off there, folks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, we find a lot of those folks that used to be, uh, what's the word? You know, like stone faced, I guess it would be, and all those things that go along with it. We find that they are, uh, they have a sense of humor somewhere down in there. I don't know if it's that first year when we see that sense of humor, but um, and I think Mark, Matt said one one key thing that there's 24 hours in a day. You find that out really hard, and there's 365 of them, sometimes 66, yeah. depending on what's going on. Who knew? Yeah, you know? I'm you know, and you know, and giving up that competitive bodybuilding for a couple years is pretty tough too matt remember when you did it i remember when i oh, never yeah. started at all you yeah. know and well i've actually given my it mind. up for 50 years and three months i'm yeah i'm uh, well i noticed you had a 25 pound weight on your porch i just i didn't know what you were doing with it well i used that as a, a fishing thing oh. i told you it wasn't for weightlifting <laughs> i was like he's doing some kind of mic thing with that it's not related to weightlifting apparently the last person that lived here had a had a weightlifting problem as well oh so. yeah yeah but um so, what about you, Jill? What about Ted? Just describe that first year or two, if it took longer than than a year to kind of integrate into the lifestyle or the of, or the program. Anyway, actually, I'll have you guys know um, that I mean, there were a lot of things I didn't do, but there was a lot of things that I did do right. And um, you know, what I what I first did, you know, of course, went to treatment, and they suggested I live in a halfway house, and so I did so. After three months of treatment, I lived in a halfway house for nine months. So my first whole year was pretty much in a controlled environment. Oh, okay, and so um, when I lived in the house, we were expected to make a meeting every day, and. I had made a meeting every day for about nine months, just nonstop. I mean, I really did. I mean, I was there and I may have been sitting on the back row and I may have been making, you know, dumb decisions, but I was there and I, I, I like, I got involved, but barely, I was one of those people. And so, um, and you're, you guys are right. It scared me to death to think what life would be like 
after getting sober because I couldn't imagine it being any sort of fun um, or satisfying without everything that I couldn't have. I couldn't imagine a life without my friends. Um, I'm, I'm living in Ravel, um, and I don't really know anybody, but these couple, these people that I got sober with, and it's almost like his own community. And, um, I wasn't quite sold on it. I still felt like I felt really alone and I just really didn't think I was ever going to have fun again. And I fought it. I was like, I will, you know, a lot of people went to town and got involved in young people in Monroe. And I was like, nah, you know, they like do fun things. I can't be a part of that. <laughs> no, seriously. Yeah. I was like, they're playing volleyball. No, I can't do that. Almost like you're not worthy enough or that's how I was. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I wasn't opposed to a good time. And I remember, you know, I ended up moving after I left the halfway house at a year to Monroe. And so my best friend and I would go to these meetings and I started to actually have some fun and do some things. Um, I was uh, caught up in a, early recovery relationship, which, um, I totally shouldn't have. I had my eyes on him in treatment. Um, God. And so it, once that ended, um, you know, I got heavily, I got pretty involved and I uh, started going to a lot of YPAWs. I would go to Arkansas and go to YPAWs across Louisiana and, um, actually started having a blast. I, you know, was working at the treatment center and I started playing tennis again. Uh, I played tennis my whole entire life since I was a child and I played high school and a little bit of collegiate uh, tennis. So doing that again made me really happy. And that's something that, you know, that I still do and I, I love it, but it, it was just, I don't know, it was just baby steps. And I, and I get that because like, at first, like I was saying last time, I could barely even socialize, much less do anything else at that moment in my life. And then I moved in, you know, like baby stepped into doing social things because like I felt like I was growing as a person and very slowly, you know, I felt like, I felt like almost an infant at first. And then I'm stepping up into adolescence and, and things like that. So it was, it was just, I was a slow starter. I think we all were. I feel like it's, for me, it was more like, oh my gosh, this is going to suck. These people yeah. suck. This is lame. 90, 90 days. Nobody has time for that. But really, what else would I have to do? Mm-hmm. Um, but then it's like, one day you wake up. And you can't imagine life being any different. I totally agree. Once you agree. get sober, like, it, you don't, I can't tell you the day, but it's just like, one day you wake up and you can't imagine drinking again. Right. Like, and the desire's kinda, gone. And you're questioning, like, how did I do that for so long? You don't even relate to your old self. It's like, I literally spun out in neutral for 20 years. I did literally nothing. But just get drunk and get high. And how did, how in the world did I do that? <laughs> how did I punch? I don't right. like, know. What was I doing? Who was taking care of all this stuff like, when I was oh my still drinking? God, you know? Yes. Yeah. It, it just blows my mind. Because there's. I feel like I have two parts of me. There's old Jill and there's new Jill. And I think about old Jill sometime. I'm like, no, it, it just like baffles me. Oh. I, don't, I, I literally don't know. I've thought about that a little bit and like how I just, I was a employed apparently. Uh, <laughs> you know, I did a lot of stuff I heard, but uh, yeah. It's, and it's ridiculous the lies that we tell ourselves because I really thought I was doing these great things. I thought I was looking great. I mean, I just thought, man, it, it, my ego, it, it was ridiculous. Um, and then when you get sober and you realize, First of all, I'm disgusting. Second of all, I haven't done anything noteworthy in so long that it, it, it whoa. 
That's all I can say. So <laughs> there's a um, a guy that came into the program that I graduated high school with, um, and uh, I think somewhere along the way it was our 20 year reunion. I was like, Jay, you got to come with me. Um, I'm gonna have to go into this reunion and talk about how I invented post-its like Romy and Michelle <laughs> because like my life is a sh- I, like I've been divorced twice. I'm an alcoholic, anonymous, like. Nothing noteworthy to share, but I-, I can so relate to that. Here I'm thinking I am just the queen bee of the world, like, you know, when I'm drinking and just the thought process and that pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization mm-hmm. that you just don't know. Like, that's that's normal and in, in, in some kind of twisted warped mind that I had. Yeah. But I think when you get sober in that first year too, and everything slows down and you don't, you, you have a lot of time to think and your brain is re everything's going on. Like the question I got was, who are you now? You're 38. Who are you? What do I, you do? I didn't even have a clue. <laughs> right. Yeah. I was like, I that's scary. Did somebody it's ask like, you that? No, I just sat there and went, wait a minute. You know, all the fun, in quotation, air quotes, that I used to have, I was just constantly involved in all that kind of stuff. And I realized I didn't know what I really liked doing. I didn't know the kind of people I really liked hanging around. I didn't even know my personality, like, because I'd be drunk and stupid and, you know, Mm -hmm. I thought I was the life of the party. Well, I found out five years later of sobriety, I'm not always, I don't always want to be the life of the party. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I just like to be totally alone, not talk to anybody. But... It's taken me a while, you know? Yeah, I kind of figured out that I'm like an extroverted introvert. Uh, Me too. When I'm around people, I like to be around people, but then it like sucks the life out of me. And for so long, I thought I had just had to hang out with people because I didn't want to be alone because I didn't want to be alone in my head. And so I would just, I'd hang out with people. I didn't even have to... I didn't even like them. Isn't that I'd awesome? Hang out with them. You start hanging out with people you don't have anything in common with, and by the time you get up, you're like, "There's like 7.5 million billion more just like that." I probably need to meet them all. Right. Yep. And when I was drunk, I was like, "I need to meet them all." <laughs> yeah. But I don't remember meeting any of them. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy how it works, you know. Once you so yeah, up. and then like you said, I didn't know who I was at all. I was a chameleon because it was whoever I was with at the time, whatever boy. Whatever they liked, I seemed to, you know, oh, yeah, well, now I, I like that, too. And um, it it takes a minute to, like, experience and find things that I do like or I don't like or, you know. And, and today, I can say no. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's exactly No, right. I don't want to do. No, I'm not going to do that. I don't want to do that. that. I have no desire to participate in whatever that activity is. That's what I was going to say is, like, today I can go, you know what? I don't like that. I don't like to do that or I don't like to eat that kind of food or. I don't like to or eat food whatever. at all. Or eat, well, I can't say that. <laughs> I prefer canned chicken. That's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's it's like you go through this this change or this evolution of like everything is, but it is baby steps, you know. It's it just is. baby steps. It, it still is for me. So. I mean, it was like growing up all over again. Absolutely. But this time with no substances. Yeah, because you know I I stopped growing emotionally. Yeah. At like 12. Or exactly. I don't know. I might have come out of the room and was stunning. Um. Well, um, I was very fortunate. You know, I got, I had, I, I kind of like, man, apparently I still had a job as well. I did too. You know, I had a, had a really big thing about, you know, whenever I was drinking, I would be like, hey guys, I'm off the next few days. I'll see y'all Tuesday. But I never was specific about which, which Tuesday. Tuesday. Yeah, I'm good. I was on that I, one I would too. show back up on and, and uh, so, you know, I 12 hour shifts five six days a week so it kind of kept me busy as far as work goes but you know back to jill was talking earlier about you seeing people having fun there was a guy in early aa and I almost forgot about this to the other day and um he his name I'm not gonna say his name but he's got a long time he's been sober since like january the 6th 1988 i believe it is it's a long time right and he came up to me just out of the blue one day and there was another guy there that i haven't seen since named will 
Will's big old boy. But he uh he came up to me and asked me if I wanted to run in a five k, and I was like, well, I, you know, I I don't run at all. You drive your Porsche in it. I don't. Yeah, yeah. You could do that. Well, I mean, that's what at, I would do at the time. It, 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 you know, I mean, I might could now, but I I I was like, just I, I'm not. This guy's been sober since I was in the you know ninth grade. And he's asking me to go run in a 5K, and it's kind of—I got that feeling of you know I'm I'm not worthy to be around somebody with all that recovery. And before it was over, we were doing this like uh, probably once, maybe every other month we were doing and doing a 5K. And you know, and also you know, in my first year, I I specifically remember my prayer. You know, I, I had you know I was I, I go home. And, you know, the, the worst case scenario is going to happen no matter what you think that anyway. You know, the bottom's going to fall out. Shoe's going to drop. I got to do everything I can do to stay busy. Idle time is is whatever. Not good for us. And so I go home and I, I actually get down on my hands and knees and I, I ask God, you know, hey, help me occupy my idle time. Help me fill my time. And that was a, a while back. And. From the moment I got up off my hands and knees until like right now, as I'm doing sitting here talking to you guys, I've not really had any idle time. I have not had a you know a, a second of idle time, and I'm not going to ask him to you know reverse that decision he made all those years ago because I really don't want the opposite either. But um, but I've been blessed with with having people that just pop up out of the blue, you know. So I was also asked by my first sponsor and my grand sponsor to go play golf every Saturday morning. They wanted me to go play golf. And, and you know, I, I'm thinking here thinking, you know, they have like, I don't know, 30 plus years and 18 plus years at the time. And, you know, they're going to be talking about all this recovery out there on the golf course. And um, I never heard the word recovery, sobriety, drink. You know, I've, I've heard some words out there. On if that it golf was golf, course. you heard words. I heard some words out there on that golf course, but that was that just wasn't the case. But you know, it took me almost that full first year to uh, to do that. But I remember specifically, though, you know, my prayers were that God let me be a good father, a good son, a good brother, and a good friend. Uh, I remember those those four things, at, you know, and. I would pray those every day, but then when I would go to meetings, I would try to listen to the things that were being said that would help me be a better father, a better friend, a better brother, a better son. And, uh, you know, it wasn't too long after that that I entered into a relationship as well in that first year of sobriety. And that was a relationship with my daughter. And I had no idea I had an idea I had a daughter. I was pretty sure. Yeah. yeah. I was there when she, that's a whole nother podcast. Let me tell you, that's something <laughs> for National Geographic. Um, I was there the day she was born and um, man. So, but she, she had actually wanted to, she, she wanted to go do these five K's. She wanted to go walk every day, every day. So I would meet her at her house. I mean, I was, I was the one that was estranged. I was outside the, you know, I was, well, basically like I am now. and um, But I would go meet her at her house every day, and I, I would take my son a Little Caesars pizza, and I would pick her up, and me and her would go to either Brownlee or to Clyde Fan, and we would go walk. And it started out with like a mile, then it would go two, and then we got up to where we was doing four a day. And I think there's a couple times in the bone-chilling weather, it was 80, not 80 miles. No, no it wasn't 80 miles. It was <laughs> bone-chilling 80 degrees outside. No, it was... It was um, eight miles, I think, we did a couple of times. But we did a lot of uh, 5Ks, and I remember, you know, some, some of those first experiences I was – my daughter was – I kept telling her, get a case for your phone. Get a case for your phone, you know. She never would get a case for her phone or whatever it was, you know. And we were at a 5K, and she broke her phone. And I was, I was just, whoa. I was just, you know, you want to tell them, you know. I told you, you know, just being whatever it is a parent does. And uh, so I had to, one of my first times I ever got to practice that pause, you know, mm. pause. Because, you know, unlike a lot of 
folks and and definitely not against the way i like things to be or wanted things to be i was going to have to drop her off later and go on back to wherever i was staying at the time you know my apartment or whatever it was and uh so i tried to chill and while we were while we were walking i remember uh we were making good time or running we were in firecracker 5k so it was july i got sober in june if that tells you anything i got sober june 21st this was july the 4th so i'm thinking it might have been the following year because i probably couldn't even walk on july the 4th so it might have been a year right after a year after that but we were walking and she had already broke her phone we were making good time we were somewhere in that neighborhood of beating our last 5k all of a sudden i get competitive you know for the first time in my life you know and um so we're making our we're making good time and her shoes come untied. Now you gotta remember it's an eleven year old girl, right? Well, she might have been twelve by then. But her shoe comes untied and she's like, Dad, tie my shoe, tie my shoe. Or uh, I mean, she can tie her own shoes, don't get me wrong. But something happened and I like she sat down on the grass and I started tying her shoes and the frustrating frustration was building with the phone and the fact that we were making good time and now we were gonna start falling back in the crowd, you know, and and something hit me that said, hey, bro, this is what a dad does. You asked to be a good dad. And now I'm giving you the opportunity to be dad, a good dad. You may want to chill for a bit. And at that point, I was just like, you know, it doesn't matter. We'll go get another phone. It doesn't matter. We'll, the race is, you know, and it, it's not that important, you know. And, and that was probably uh, 10 phones ago, you know. I think that was <laughs> iPhone 3. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, I think that was iPhone 3 or 4 or one of those, you know back when they started making the square body from the round body and they went back to the round body, but we're not going to promote their products. Um, but that's, sto- that story does spark so many of the, of your personal stories, uh, especially when it comes to your daughter. And, um, and, and that's, that's another cool thing is we get to know each other and we're, I don't consider any of y'all friends. I feel, feel like your family, like you are my, extended family and it's like sometimes i can tell your story better than you can or vice versa and um you did become a good father i'm still you're, working on still yeah. working on and it's okay today to be working on stuff you know right. what i mean I used mean, to i would the expectations are like i'd be like oh i'm you know i'd beat myself up yeah. and now it's like i am working on it and mm-hmm okay to do that but so. i think sobriety gives us the the blessing to do or become good friends and parents and daughters and sons and you know my kids grew up in the rooms of alcoholics anonymous my my youngest was in diapers when i i came in and i was so afraid i'll never forget it was an old timer um he was a marine and he was crotchety but at my one year sobriety date, he went to share about, you know, me or whatever. And he, he talked about how he was impressed because I would bring the kids with me. And I'm like, oh, great. He's going to talk about how they terrorized the room. And, and that wasn't it. He was impressed that I did what it took to stay sober. And if that meant bringing my kids with me and, and really, I'm the one that gets bothered when my kids act up in a meeting. It, nobody else is disturbed at all. But yeah, I remember that. I remember. I remember when you first came into the room, uh, Matt. I I think I remember when you first came into the rooms, and that was, if I'm not mistaken, five years ago yesterday. Mm-hmm. Celebrated five years yesterday. So. Five years yesterday. I know we need an applause track. I could put it <clears> in the background right there. So. Oh, uh, so, you know, this is, we're talking about our first year of recovery. We're talking about the, uh, the family aspect of it. So, you know, I've, I've talked a little bit about my family aspect of it. And, um, so how did your, how, and we'll go this way. Okay. How did your family react to sober you? We're not going to say recovered quite yet. Cause we're still in that, you know, but that sober you, how did your family react to that? I think that's the first time I heard my dad say he was proud of me. Yeah. Um, my family, I think, were just ecstatic, and they still are. They still are, yeah. and uh, they know. They know that everything that I've done and everything I went through, and you know everything that all the hurdles that I've 
jumped over and all, and they just, they're thrilled. They're absolutely thrilled. I think they're, they, they get to see like, um, you know, my, the best of me now. And, uh, they love it. Supportive. They are my biggest fans. They ever been to meetings with you? No. They did come to family day. At the, at the, uh, <laughs> the treatment center. Treatment center. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. We have family day is something that, you know, <laughs> the normal person out here who may listen to this thinks of family day is like, you know, hot dogs, hamburgers, everybody's barbecuing and talking like you see on uh what's that show that just came out on Netflix Wednesday. They had yeah. family day out at the, mm, out mm-hmm. at the, you know, <laughs> family day is a little bit different in treatment center. I got a good story on that, by the way, <laughs> I was in North Mississippi way away from everybody i knew well the whole, i was in treatment for a little over 90 days and i had two had one visitation day right my family came and it was great but the rest of the time i was there nobody came because it was such a long and i told him you don't have to come you know but but a guy that i was in there with he was local okay so he knew everybody around there so you could put on the list who would be visiting you, and then it was approved during the week, and then they would say, okay, Matt has two guests coming or whatever. Well, this guy rolls in, and he's like, I need to talk to you, bro. He's unfigured out that I don't have any visitors ever. He's like, look, my old lady's coming. My Conjugal. Wife, my wife's coming. No, my wife's coming to family day, but she, it's two hours. She's only going to stay about 30 minutes. He goes, but I got two girlfriends. I can't, I can't have them at the same time. So – can I put their names on your sheet? You just talk to them while I'm talking to my old lady. And then when she leaves, I'll wave them over. And that was my first, you know, morality sober deal. And I was like, I don't know any of these people. And I was like, this just is not going to end well. This is going to be a Jerry Springer episode in our family day here. And I, I just don't think, and he begged me, he's like, I'll, I'll buy you commissary or whatever. We were in a rough place. And I'm like, no, you know, a Mountain Dew is not worth whatever's going to happen here. So I didn't do it. But, yeah, they're creative in their own family day place I went. So so did you let it? Did I what? Let him add the names? Absolutely or? not. Oh, okay. No, okay. no. Oh, thank God. I mean, these two people I would never see until they walked in the lunchroom and they're supposed to know who I – yeah, it was too creepy. I was like, this is, this is, this is bad. So I'm, I'm Did you still, see him? I'm sorry. Go ahead, Jennifer. I'm still trying to figure out. Like, he wanted – the wife was coming separate, but he, the both of the girls. You could only have time. you could only have two visitors. So if he put two on me and one on him, that's three. Right, but so the wife was coming and going. But were the two girlfriends that they know about? They each knew other about they each were, other. Okay. Yes, I'm supposed was to entertain open, those two. Was it open? Time? I don't know. I didn't get into details, but I really the more I mulled that over, I was like, I'm out, bro. I love yeah. you, but I'm out. Peace so deuces. So yeah. Well, so there's that. He's he's still in treatment now. I went back and spoke um, eight months ago. Yeah, I and he that. was there. Yeah, again. working. He's working there. No, oh, he's working. All right. No, he's a he's a client again. So, well, that you know, chaos, chaos, chaos breeds chaos. I guess. Yeah, I mean so. The good news is, keep coming back. <laughs> when we figure out when we figure out the root of that problem, we might want to. And it ain't alcohol or drugs or, you know, snorting banana pills or whatever. Yeah, he, that was a uh, that was I, I I was my eyes were open going into treatment. You know, the one I went to, it was uh, they knew all the tricks. But uh, yeah, I passed on that. So, how about the family? How they how they take to you? How they take the sober mat? You know, it, it was a work in progress. So my ex-wife is is one of us, and I'm going to leave most of those details out, uh, but uh, went to treatment as well, got out. So we were both doing that. Um, and program-wise, we were totally different. Uh, uh, after rehab type approach. Was a was a different deal. We both went opposite directions on that. Uh, is the best way I can put it. So that was um, it was a struggle. the re- The rest of the time we were married, we were still married for another three years, but we were married for a long time before that. And 
but the kids, you know, uh, it was it was literally getting back on our feet. So I was working as much as I could and just trying to keep a roof over our head. Um, but as far as overall, everybody's super supportive. Um, my teenage daughter Shelby, that's home today with the other two, she. I remember when I got my six month chip, and I was fired up. Six months, man. I. I just, that's actually a long time, bro. <laughs> it is. I know. I was, uh, dude, I was pumped. That's a like milestone. That's and, like, yeah. yeah, and I had worked that day, and I had this old car. I don't know if y'all remember that gray car I used to have. It didn't have any windows in it. <laughs> no. Dude, y'all don't remember that car? Like Frank the Tank? My kid, it was worse than anything you could imagine. It was horrible, but it was free. <laughs> it had half a million miles on it. And for 10 bucks, I could ride for two weeks on oh, that wow. gas tank. Like, did it have an engine? It did have an engine. It would, it would haul ass, but it was just, it looked like a hot mess. But I drove that car for like a year and a half. Well, anybody could help themselves to anything. Not that there was anything of value in that car, but it had no windows. So I'm at work on my six months and I would get off at 515, half past five, right down the street. I ran in every day. That's what I did. Straight to work, went there. And I remember, Driving up to, you know, the club, and my ex-wife, wife then, she texted me and said, Shelby left you something in your console. And I opened it up, and it was a note from her. And it said, I'm so proud of you. And I still have that in my big book from six months, you know. And uh, so I think I think the, the, the biggest thing, you know, we talk about God's grace and all that, but I think other people, you know, kids and – Family members and people like that, when they see you're trying, they don't expect you perfection, but they do go, okay, there's an attitude change here. He or she is trying, you know, and uh, I'm I'm the luckiest son of a gun on the planet. Um, and my family, everybody's very supportive, but I, uh, and I probably, I probably, uh, you know, yeah. I mean, all my kids, I have a grandkid now. I FaceTimed him last night, got to see him. Uh, clowning on FaceTime. He couldn't figure that out, and neither could I. But uh, um, we have a good time today as much as we can, and and I'm pretty uh, pretty tickled about it. What about you, Jennifer? Fortunately for me, my kids were so young. They didn't know drunk Jennifer. So they, they've grown up uh, with a sober Jennifer. My parents, my mom was... Supportive in the beginning, she actually would watch the girls for me when I would go to meetings early on, and then she quickly got resentful at that. And um, I come from, my dad's an alcoholic, my mom's an untreated Al-Anon, could write the book on it, so uh, they're really supportive, but my dad's like a, a man of many words, as in he's probably said five in the last year, um, and that's just... One of the things, my grandmother's really supportive. My friends are really supportive. And um, I had coworkers that were really supportive. And it wasn't like one of those things where, you know, I tell somebody I'm an alcoholic and they're like, you know, got the the crosses and the, you know. Um, usually, most people think that that's really cool. Because when you approach that, when you first have to tell somebody, okay, I'm, I'm an alcoholic, you never know how it goes. And I always still, even today, even today, if I call in sick for work, if I have told my boss that I'm an alcoholic, I'm like, oh my gosh, she's going to think that I relapsed and I'm not coming to work because I'm hungover or something. And nah, it's not like that, though. So the kids, the kids never really saw you drink. Right. Your family, though, they 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 just kind of accepted the fact you were getting help. Or did anybody ever try yeah. to talk you out of it? No. They, well, in the beginning, my mom was very, very supportive. She liked me going to AA, all of those things. But then, you know, it was like one of those things that we hear it, you know, they're like, how long are you going to go? To, when are you going to graduate? How long are you going to go to those meetings? Um, do you really need that anymore? And I'm like, well, how long do you want me sober? Um, but. As far as the kids go, um, you know, that's, you talk about God's grace. Like, I, again, my kids grew up in the rooms and 
God protected their ears. It's almost like they come out of the meetings and they're like, well, what do you do at the Koala Club? And they're like, oh, we talk about God. And people smoke cigarettes out on the porch. <laughs> like, they don't hear any of the other things that, you know, get discussed in the rooms. And I think that's amazing. And um, that's for today. You know, my, my daughter, my youngest daughter is like the town crier. I'm like, you probably go around telling all your friends and your teachers. Your mom's an alcoholic and she goes to the Koala Club. She's like, I don't. And I'm like, well, you were just telling somebody, you know, some other important things that you shouldn't have said. But. Yeah, kids are kids are funny. My littlest one, she doesn't remember that. I have two older ones that are grown now, and they do remember it really bad, you know. And um, that's been a – it's been kind of weird. It's been a repair job on all levels, you know, of trying to rebuild things. And um, they – but the it's funny, the little one, the two youngest ones, they don't really remember that era, so – uh, they think it's funny that I go up there and talk about alcohol with people and they're like, why are we doing this? You know, what are we doing here? So um, that's, again, God, God's grace. So, Well, mine remember me, you know, my as far as the support of the family and the support of uh, everyone I knew, uh, apparently, unbeknownst to me, everyone knew I was an alcoholic but me. So that that kind of kind of threw everyone for a loop, or me for a loop. You didn't have everybody fooled. I had everybody fooled. I honestly know? thought that no one thought that uh, I drank as much as I did, you know. And I look back, I pa- passed out at my grandfather's funeral, you know. Uh, I've just the, the the telltale signs were there. I just refused to to figure that out. But what really really blows my mind is the fact that I meet people and I'm like, or my family, you meet people, I meet my family for the first time, you know, but I'm like, I'm an alcoholic and, and they're like, oh, okay, you know, that maybe they don't grasp what an alcoholic is or maybe they, they don't, you know, some people are like, no, nah, you ain't no alcoholic, but most people are just like, oh, okay, well, you know, like it's just totally acceptable nowadays, but, you know, I had the, uh, I had the full support of everybody, including those people that were disgusted with me at the time. People that were really angry with me because of my actions during the drinking. They were like, you go to meetings. You need to go to meetings. No one's ever questioned my, my meeting going. You know, I some people I see that, you know, I've talked to and they have a significant other or someone in their life that really cares about them. That's like, you have to go every day, you know. N- nobody was like that for me. Everybody was like, hey, you really need to go, you know. Mom and dad, um, they didn't know. I say they they knew how much I drank, obviously, but my mom and dad didn't know that AA was the way it was. I think I think that you know there had been family members that had been sent to AA because of you know DWI or, or twelve, and that was just a place you would go whenever you would have a run in with the law. So they would send you to AA. I don't think my mom and dad really understood that it is a uh, like a life a lifestyle, you know, more or less. That's I, I I very rarely use that word lifestyle, you know, because I remember telling uh, telling my ex wife. I remember telling Wendy. I said, you know, AA is not just someone who goes to meetings every day. You realize that this is when I was drinking. When I was, you know, debating on stopping, I said, this is a lifestyle. These people live a lifestyle. And I don't think I was ready for that lifestyle at the time of this conversation. I just, so, you know, but, but her very supportive, my son, after a while, he became, you know, really, really supportive. You know, I, I think maybe on my first sobriety date, he was coming around. And by the second sobriety date, we had mended most of our fences, you know, and then we would hash back through that years later to become what we are now. So very, very close. But as far as the, uh, the family aspect of it, all those, all of them, you know, just overly supportive. So if any of y'all ever had a slip, Jill, you ever had a slip? Nope. No, just came in and just went with it, huh? Yes. Yeah. How about you, Matt? Uh, no slip. Uh, since I went to treatment and, and, uh, Nothing, you know, had some had some moments where things were tough, but uh, 
good sponsorship and good AA people and no no slips, you know. But um, yeah, I can't imagine doing that today. You know, I just I just can't. Like it's it's a beautiful oh, thing. Life so, or death. Life or death. Yep. Yeah, it definitely is life or death. It is for me anyway. No slips for me either. Um, but the weirdest thing is, is that I thought that I was the only one that had these dreams that have using dreams. But the dreams were I was always covering up. I I was still in AA and I was still pretending like I was sober and I would wake up scared as crap. But today, by the grace of God, no slips for me. Can I tell you all this? This was so weird. I don't know if we talked about this. About six months ago, I had the first using dream that I've had in a couple of years. Yeah. Really? And it was so vivid. And they used to terrify me. The first year, I was terrified. I would wake up in that just, you know, panic, whatever. And I had one, and I woke up, and I remember sitting there just for a second in that same feeling of terror, you know. And then I started smiling, and I was like, cool. Like, (laughs) Like, I've moved past this. Like, I'm almost grateful that I got a little reminder of how bad that was. Like my attitude has totally changed, you know. And right. That's why I love going bringing in meetings into the treatment centers too. Like when you see where Sure. We were. Sure. And how sure. clue just how clueless I was about everything and in in recovery and what it takes to stay sober and how I just thought I was just an expert, three days in, like three minutes sober, and uh, uh, I didn't know anything. I slip a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not like you guys. <laughs> My first original sobriety date is 11-18-04. It's covered up right here on my arm. So, uh, my last sobriety date was uh, <clears throat> was June 21st of 11. I was my, the last one I had. but And the most recovery I had had between, probably between the long time. I don't know. I got sober when I was 38. So, between the age of 27 and 38, the longest I had was 92 days. And so, but I mean, I, I did not have that one thing, the, the desire to stop drinking. You know, the one thing you have to have to qualify you to get in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, I just didn't have it. You know, the, it, it had to get bad enough for me to go in there. So, you know, I, I've slipped, you know, and I haven't slipped since, but I, I wasn't ready. So, obviously, that's just going to happen. I mean, I had little brief periods before learning about AA and going to treatment where I tried to stop, but it was one, there wasn't the desire to stop. It was almost a panic, like, I think I can stop this, and then tried and was like, then I really realized, oh, no, I can't stop this on my own. So, but I, I wouldn't call those slips because I wasn't even, none of that time that I wasn't drinking to use, it wasn't, I wouldn't consider that sobriety by any <laughs> stretch of the imagination. Oh, so. I remember I, I went like, <clears throat> maybe two months because I had a deal with somebody and I'm not going to get into that, that whole story, but, um, I would quit drinking if he would do whatever for me. And, um, yeah, somebody else's problem became my problem. And I was the proud owner of that problem. And I was crazy, 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 crazy. There was no, it wasn't sober minded. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was dry. It was like white knuckling. Um, it was terrible. I mean, awful, awful, awful. It's like we were off our medication, you know, like exactly. that's how I acted, like just. I made know. the same kind of deal with the Lord every so often. I'm like, I'll quit drinking. If you do this for me, <laughs> I'll do myself a favor. If you do me a favor. You know, talk about making demands, man. Right. Yeah, I had I had the same same thing. So, you know what I think? Talking about family, real quick too. I think this has been a big turning point, and this is a program thing and a spiritual thing and relationship with higher power thing for me. But I've kind of gotten a second chance with my younger kids, and I have with my older kids. But they saw a lot of that stuff. But now the lack of I thought I had to know it all back then, and I, I know it all. I'm not going to ever apologize, or I know, you know. Mm-hmm. Now I'll just go to a six-year-old and go, hey, I messed up. That's my bad. And they go, 
okay, because they do it too. And it's not a big deal anymore, you know. And I think that's where they're like, okay, you know, he's just he's just my dad. He's not he doesn't have to be anything but that, you know. And that's that's pretty cool today. So it's a lot of pressure being a parent too. That you know, sometimes when, especially me as an alcoholic, back when I was drinking, I put myself under undue pressure. You know, I'm supposed to have all the answers, and you know, I didn't even read the manual. You know, but and of course, that's absolutely no no reason for my drinking. My drinking had nothing to do with anything about being a parent. But you know, there was a lot of undue pressure I'd put on myself. Whenever you know, now looking back, if I'd have gotten sober. And I didn't, so that's all that matters. But if I'd have gotten sober when my kids were very young, you know, we could have kind of grown up together a little bit. And, you know, and then they were 11 and 13, by all means. That's not too terribly old, you know. But but anyway, um, can y'all think of anything we need to add? About family or just? Just in general. Just in general about what we might have been missing about that first year and those experiences i think i think overall the 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 figuring out you take the time away that your mind's occupied with substances and all that that entails and i figured out today that and i don't mean this in a bad way but like i figured out that i naturally have like some form of add or whatever like i'm always busy i always want to do stuff my brain has to be busy doing stuff whether it's reading a book or fishing or Whatever it might be. Reading a fishing book. Reading a fishing book. That's the perfect combination right, right there. But um, I figured that out in healthy ways now. Like, I realize that's just how I am. And I don't know. I don't know. But idleness, just sitting around staring at the four walls, is not how I roll. So I've learned to, like, try things that I normally wouldn't try. And some of them I go, I don't like that. And I don't do it anymore. But some things I really falling in love with doing and i like doing and yeah it's it's pretty cool today to try to figure that out and i'm still working on like what what i do now and and what what i'm about you know yeah Yeah. finding hobbies have been instrumental because i didn't have those i didn't do anything right yeah i know i know i go you know (laughs) skydiving rocky mountain climbing (laughs) i just do all kind of stuff (laughs) You go, to, you go skydiving. No, I haven't yet. I've yeah, because we Rocky were supposed to. Go, we were supposed to go at one point. You know. Also, too, I would have. You know, the big book was like a coaster for the first. I don't know, several months for me. You know, I I, I said I read it, but I listened to it half assed. Um, but at some point. You got to study the book to get into the solution. And obviously the, the solution, I mean, once you get into the solution, you're spending a, a little bit of time on the spiritual life um, and the step work. The and emotional that take work. The emotional. And, and sometimes, I can tell you today, sometimes emotional hangovers are way worse than the physical hangover and... And and that's just an indication when I get like that that I'm not doing something. I'm I'm probably lacking on a ten, or I need to go back to a four. Mm-hmm. Well, there's always a step for just about everything we do, and it's amazing how much stuff you get done whenever you're actually active and doing stuff, even if it's just clearing your head. I um, and I'm I'm gonna close out here in just a second, guys. But I went. The past couple of days, yeah, you know, I just took went motorcycle riding. I just I went out there, I got on my motorcycle, and I headed yesterday. I went to Arkansas or right there on the Arkansas line, up uh, like Benton Road, you know. And then um, today, I just went riding just around Shreveport. You know, I got to see a little bit of downtown Shreveport, Lakeshore Drive, some of the Sprague Street area. I was just about to ask about Sprague Street that that YouTube video where the yeah. Yeah, I went down there just to make sure it was still there. And it is. It's still there. And mm-hmm. It's still got all the same uh, healthy stuff that it had in the YouTube video. So next time, next time we get together, we are going to talk about spirituality. Spirituality versus religion? No. We're going to talk about spirituality. We're going to talk about religion. But spirituality and religion, and the reason for that is... Um, I remember the massive internal debate I had on 
what is the difference? What are these people talking about? So I'm going to share a little bit of my experience, and I hope you guys do too, about the spiritual aspect of the program. Because for me, it's just a must. It's just something I have to have. But we're not going to dive off into that. Um, but for the gang here at the Grouch and the Brainstorm, we're signing off. Have a good week. Good night. Hey, hey, hey.